Hello, and welcome to the Fiend Vale Financial View. My name is Helen Morrissey, and I'm the London Sales Director at Quilt Achievement. Now, before we begin today, I'm just going to run through some housekeeping. On your screen, you'll see all the engagement tools, which are resizable and movable, so you're welcome to move around the screen to get most out of your monitor space. If you have any questions during the event, please submit them through the Q&A box. You can also use the Book a Meeting tool, which is available for you to book a session if you want to have a one-to-one -one meeting with us. For those of you that require CPD, you can also download your CPD certificate as soon as you've met the requirement for the webcast, which is to listen for at least 30 minutes. A certificate icon will appear in the tool window, allowing you to download your certificate. This icon will then open the certificate as a PDF in a new browser tab. And lastly, the recording will be available after the event concludes and can be accessible on the same audience link that you've sent for the point of registration. That concludes the housekeeping, so now we're now going to get into the main content of today. So as you may be aware, October is World Menopause Awareness Month, a topic which was previously deemed to be rather sensitive and taboo to speak about publicly. However, through Quilt Achievers Female Financial View series, we would like to start helping raising awareness on the challenges that people face personally, professionally, and financially during menopause. Now, to be clear, we're not going to be looking at medical or legal aspects today, but only the practical aspects when it comes to dealing with menopause. So please note that while we will be speaking predominantly from a female perspective, we understand also that menopause does impact the whole of the family. Now, I'm delighted today to be joined by Nicola Green of Nicola Green Consultancy and Vanessa Eve, Quilt Achievement's Investment Manager. So, Nicola, please can I come to you first? And normally, I would give our audience a little bit of a bio about our speakers when introducing them. However, I thought it would be more important today to hear from you directly about your background because it is so relevant to today's discussion. So Nicola, could you tell us a little bit about what's led you here today? Certainly, and thank you so much for asking me to be part of this today. It's a pleasure. Well, as you know, I run my own consultancy business, helping organisations address menopause in the workplace. But let me just go back right to the beginning and give you sort of an insight into how that ever came about. And we're going to cover the personal perspective to start with. I was 32 when I first walked into my GP surgery with my three-year-old son holding my hand to ask the question, could I be going through a premature menopause? And you may wonder why at the age of 32, I was even considering it as my GP did that day. There were a couple of reasons. The first was some symptoms I was experiencing, but ultimately it was a conversation that I'd had with my mum some nine years earlier where she had said to me, she had been to see her GP and he had told her she had gone through an early menopause. And I'll just stress back then, 20 plus years ago for my mum, that was the only conversation she ever had. So I went in with that question that day to that GP and I say, I was quite rightly dismissed. The GP said, I really don't understand why you'd even be considering this. And I left that day thinking, OK, I'm just an exhausted mum of two young children and I need to get on with this. And that's exactly what I did. And I did that for the next three years. And I would say over those three years, symptoms came, symptoms went, but life was happening and I didn't understand what these symptoms were. 
you know, what, why was I feeling the way I was? Why was this impacting my relationships at home? Why was this impacting the way I felt about my career? But I carried on, as you do. And at the age of 35, I would describe my symptoms changing quite dramatically. And at the age of 35, I'll be honest and say, I was experiencing the most horrific periods I'd ever experienced in my life to the point of feeling I couldn't leave the house. With them came the low mood, the lack of confidence, the anxiety, and lots of other symptoms that we now know could be related to menopause. But ultimately, actually, that the biggest symptom for me back then was my inability to be able to make a decision. And I don't mean a big decision. Now, I was a leader at work. I was a decision maker at home. And my ability to make the smallest of little decisions was what I actually found the hardest at that point. But those periods had unnerved me. And I went back to a GP and explained the change. And he was also concerned. So I was then being sent for scans, um, for ovarian cysts and so on and so forth. You can appreciate for anyone who's experienced anxiety that that obviously added to it. Very pleased to say everything was clear. By this point, I've done some extra research and I understand that maybe there's now a blood test that my GP could do to see if I was going through a premature menopause. And I asked him for that test. I say he reluctantly agreed and quite rightly so, depending on what time of day, maybe you even have that blood test, you can get a different result. However, he did agree. And about three days later, I had a call from the GP to say, oh my goodness, we're quite shocked. It quite clearly shows you're going through a premature menopause. How do you feel? And I will say initially, I was just relieved. I'd spent three years just not understanding why I was feeling the way that I was. And to have a name to what it was, at points I'd felt even that I was going a little bit crazy, okay? But to have a name for what this might be was very reassuring. And it was reassuring to me. It was reassuring to my husband when he came home that evening for me to be able to tell him what the GP had said because it was having a huge impact on our personal relationship as well, because neither of us understood what was happening. And for anybody watching today and experiencing this themselves, they'll understand that there were many conversations with my husband where he would say to me such as, what is it you want? What is it that will make you happy? I don't understand. You have two healthy children. You have a nice house. You have a good job. We go on holiday. I don't stop you doing anything. What is it that will make you happy? And of course, for a lot of that time, I didn't have the answer because I also struggled to feel emotion. So that's you know really, really difficult on those personal relationships. So initially, it was relief. And I was saying about a week, I was quite emotional. I was emotional to think, oh, my goodness, I'm not ready to deal with this yet. I didn't think I needed to deal with menopause until maybe you know another 15 years time. But I must stress, extremely fortunate to have completed the family we wanted by that point, because there are so many individuals who, who haven't and so many individuals who are maybe on a fertility journey and premature menopause maybe is also not on the radar. But the GPs wanted me to go on and have some further tests. They really wanted to check this wasn't a blip. And I had those tests over the next six months. Some were conclusive and some weren't. And as you'll sort of learn from today's talk is that symptoms come and symptoms go. And then another batch of symptoms come along. So the bloods change over that time as well, as do your symptoms. So within about six months, I was feeling better. It wasn't now showing in my blood. So I thought, and okay, let's just continue as we are. And I did that for another three years. And I say this quite lightly, six years in all of just, I would describe often just suffering in silence and just getting on with it and thinking that I needed to, because 
for the majority of that time, I did not understand what these symptoms were. And I had many consultations with GPs over those six years, and they asked me two questions. One, are you having hot flushes? Two, have your period stopped? The answer was no to both of those questions. I was experiencing a huge amount of other symptoms, but I wasn't experiencing the two that they were looking for. But at the age of 38 is a time where I would just describe to you that I hit my own personal rock bottom. Ultimately, six years of not understanding or managing my symptoms at all. And at the age of 38, symptoms again changed quite dramatically. The period stopped. First time in six years, the hot flushes were there. The night sweats were there. The anxiety was absolutely there. And all of that, those six years, I would say, and this sort of three three months of, of these symptoms and complete and utter sleep deprivation at the same time led into depression. And for me, it was, it was a moment in a week where it, I, I realized that something in my life had to change. I could no longer continue the way I was and the way I was feeling, the way it was impacting me so much. And I needed to go back to my GP. Six years on, I went with two questions. Am I depressed? And if so, I'm going to have to ask you for some antidepressants, something I'd never asked for before. Or is this menopause? I was still unsure. Further blood tests revealed that it was premature menopause. And my GP was then saying, OK, we've got enough evidence now. We've got enough evidence. And she was at this point recommending HRT to me. Now, I'm not here, as we said, to recommend HRT to anybody. That's a personal choice. It's a medical choice. But for me, it wasn't about anything else apart from that day and the fact that I knew something had to change. I didn't quite know what that was, but I chose to go on to HRT. HRT is hormone replacement therapy. My GP was wanting to bring my hormones back up to that of a, of a 38 year old. But also one of her recommendations to me was because of the risk of osteoporosis later in life. So for me, there was a greater risk from going through a premature menopause of osteoporosis. So I, I decided to go on to HRT. And for me, and again, this is different for each individual, within about three days, that black cloud started to lift. And I would just describe being able to see clearly for the first time, and I actually don't know how long. That enabled me to then start a rebuild. So yes, I took the medical intervention, but then I took stock of myself as a person. What I was eating, what I was drinking, how I was looking after myself, headspace, fun, all those things that had been forgotten for a very long time. And for me, that was a, about a four month rebuild where I really, really looked into that and really just started to realize that self-care wasn't selfish and that it was, it was a must for me going forward. And I would say that rebuild created an empowerment. It absolutely did. I'd worked in law for 20 years and for a lot of that time, I was sort of doubting, was it me? Was it the family life? Was it work? What, what was all this? What were all these feelings that I didn't understand? And it was time for a career change. That was sort of a catalyst. So sometimes if we hit a rock bottom, we often have a catalyst of change. And for me, it was a positive change. And I decided, OK, I worked in law now for 20 years. What else is out there in the world for me? I didn't actually know what that was going to be. And I'm delighted to say that I was in the mix of getting an HR qualification and the CIPD, amazing body that they are, was sending through literature. We are now addressing mental health in the workplace, but we're still not talking about menopause. And this is 2019. And I would just describe this probably as a light bulb moment, a light bulb moment in an evening college class where I go, 
oh my goodness, this is such a thing. I've lived through it. I've continued to bring up that young family, hold down the marriage and the law career. And now it's time for me to see if I can do something about this. Ultimately, put together presentations, marketed them to the workplace. And here we are four and a half years on, um, still running the business with the same, if not more amount of passion for the work that I do in opening up this conversation in the workplace. And ultimately, the strap line I use is making the uncomfortable comfortable. So there's a little insight for you all of, of that, you know, personal impact and then um, workplace as well. That is amazing. Thank you so much, Nicola. And I like that, making the uncomfortable comfortable. So let's let's do a little bit of that now. And let's, uh, let's ask you a few questions, if that's okay. So yeah. you mentioned about some of the symptoms. And one thing you said that which was really key, symptoms could come and go. Um, how do you think, you know, menopause is affecting and impacting women physically and emotionally? Because you've touched on a few bits of yours, but I understand that there's over 70 different types of symptoms. Is, is that correct? Yeah. Right. Let me let me start first of all by saying psychological impact, emotional impact and physical impact. OK, so we can have different symptoms within those three things. So whether we're looking at that sort of anxiety, the depression side of things or the physical, the joint pains, the joint aches or or even the emotional, the mood swings or, or the bursting into tears where, when no one's upset us. There's all of those sorts of varieties of symptoms there. And they're all having at different times maybe an impact on individuals. But I really want to start with a little bit of reassurance here um, not everyone will experience symptoms they absolutely won't and you don't necessarily experience all these symptoms in one go they come and go as, as we just mentioned with regard to the number of about 70 symptoms I'll just reflect on this for a moment in 2021 there was known sort of about 34 symptoms and it was about 34 to 40 symptoms that I would sort of talk about I've seen a current list recently of 66 symptoms and I've kind of gone through that. And actually on reflection, what I would say is in 2021, maybe um, a symptom of digestive changes was sort of known as maybe one symptom. What I see now is maybe that's been expanded upon of the different types of digestive changes. So I think there's been a, more of an expansive list. Um, and what I would also say is in the last couple of years, this topic's obviously gained a lot of momentum and therefore we are sharing, you know, symptoms that maybe we didn't ever realise before could be menopause related. So, yes, there's lots of symptoms out there. Reassurance is that we won't all have them and around 25% of individuals won't have menopausal symptoms at all. Um, so, you know, there's lots of symptoms, but let's I don't want to scare anybody today, um, but yes, there are. In answer to your question, there are lots, Helen. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if that's good to know or not, Nicola, but thank you very much for that. Um, taking that one step further then, obviously, there are so many different symptoms. And now we're also, um, I believe, at a demographic where we've got more menopausal women in the workplace than ever before. What is the impact on women with regards to, you know, how that is facilitating the workplace by not necessarily going for the next promotion, you know, also thinking about going part time or even cutting their career short due to menopause? When you yourself said that you had a complete, almost an epiphany and a change, but for some it's more of a, I want to take a step back. Yeah, and I see this, I would say, every day. Okay, absolutely. So what we see, even if we looked at a stat to start with, CIPD released um, some new information last week, which was one in six have considered leaving their place of work due to symptoms. Uh, and I see that firsthand within the work I do. What I would say is there's often quite a catalyst to, to these feelings of, 
I'm no longer as good at my job as I used to be. I need to work additional hours to make up for, you know, my underperformance. Um, I need to go part time. I need to demote myself or ultimately I just need to leave. And, And this is what we see. And this is why, if we open this up, what we're trying to do is support the topic and, and retain these amazing individuals and work. But often I would talk about a catalyst to this. And often the catalyst is one of them, two of the symptoms, really, which is that kind of brain fog and that difficulty concentrating, which can often lead into a lack of confidence. So I work on a method of, of trying to capture those symptoms, understanding what they are, trying to remove any embarrassment around them. So you can appreciate, you might have someone in a meeting who's talking away and then has absolutely lost the next words. Cannot remember the name of something, forgotten what was going to be said next. And what we're trying to do is sort of remove the embarrassment around that because what we can see as that happening is, I don't want to put myself in that situation again everyone just to be sort of looking at me when I I can't sort of remember my train of thought that can be really really difficult so what we try to do is work on an explain method and not a blame method is how I try to work on this with individuals and if we can if we can understand what these symptoms are if we can learn some techniques to manage them then I also feel we can hopefully remove some of that self-doubt because that self-doubt you know can be so difficult in those that impact of maybe I can't do this job any longer um what we're also trying to remove is any judgment around that from others which is also another issue for many many individuals in this way so i think there is a a point that you said there underperformance that i just want to pick up on very quickly before i come to you vanessa but we haven't forgotten that you're there um on that underperformance Often I've read that women will not turn around and say, look, I'm struggling today on a menopause basis. They're more likely to make up other reasons, other excuses, because they're afraid of actually putting that out there. Um, And as you say, it might not be the right environment to be doing that. How do we overcome that? There's a huge fear of judgment around it by saying, you know, I'm menopausal and therefore people thinking, oh, then people thinking, you know, you're maybe not as good at your job as you used to be. And that's not the case at all. What we try to do here is we absolutely try to open up the conversation. We, you know, that piece around making this comfortable, being able to even have a conversation with a manager or a colleague or whatever could be so absolutely supportive. But One of the other things that I say, even within my manager training sessions, is you may never have a conversation with a colleague, okay, as a manager. You may never have a conversation with a colleague. But the fact that they know that you've come to this session today, you understand that this is an important topic and one that, you know, you should gain some knowledge on, has already lifted a weight off of your team's shoulders, for example. So just opening up the conversation in a comfortable way, shifting in that culture if we can, um, can just create that kind of supportive environment for individuals, whether or not they ever raise this at work, um, but we want to try and sort of create a space where maybe they can. Thank you. Now, Vanessa, we haven't forgotten you there. I'm going to come to you now, if that's okay. Um, Obviously, we've just been talking about the impact of menopause on some women's careers, and especially when you know, typically at menopause age, I know Nicola, your journey has been slightly different. So my sister's journey, actually, she went through early menopause, but it's typically at the peak of their careers. So when we are doing our financial planning and talking about the female financial journey, are we currently as an industry recognising menopause as one of the gender hurdles? 
I don't think we are. And it almost goes back to Nicola's point that actually it's such a sort of topic that we don't discuss or talk about that we haven't really recognised it as a, as a hurdle. So I suppose if I take a step back, um, at the moment, the gender hurdles that are more specifically talked about in terms of the women's um, or the barriers that women face in terms of their financial health are things like the motherhood penalty. So when women fall pregnant or go through an adoption process and potentially need to leave the workforce for a period of time to care for their new arrival. Um, the second one that is commonly spoken about as well is the childcare penalty. So women are still often the ones who disproportionately shoulder higher levels of childcare within their family due to things like the cost of nursery care, which um, looking back at some statistics, the BBC quoted in March of this year, um, a full time nursery place for a, a child under two years old is about £15,000 a year. So, again, this is a financial family decision that's made where women will sometimes take a step back. And I think at the other end of the spectrum, the, the final penalty or, or hurdle that's spoken about is the good daughter penalty, where women do take on board a much higher proportion of caring for elderly relatives. Now, I think what is a positive to take away is that these areas are being more closely looked at by financial planners and investment uh, managers. And it's certainly something that Cruelty Chivia is championing when it comes to advising women around their finances and investments. However, the very reason we're holding this webinar today is that the menopause until very recently has been a topic that nobody's been really willing to discuss. And so it hasn't been recognized as a hurdle for women to overcome. But as Nicola has alluded to in terms of what her experience was, in terms of what women are experiencing in the workplace, it does have a, an impact in terms of women's health and well-being, but it does have financial implications. Um, as you've already said, Helen, for, for most women who are still working, um, when they go through the menopause, they are at the peak of their career. And so they're actually at a stage in their lives where they can make up for potentially the financial impacts that they had earlier on in their lives. Um, however, if they need to take a step back from work, if they need to work more flexibly, these can all have impacts. And this is why we really do need to actively look at menopause as an issue for a financial planning and investment management perspective, because it is going to be another hurdle which women need to overcome over the course of their financial journey. Thanks, Vanessa. And I'm going to keep on that financial impact um, and come to you, Nicola. So in your experience, is there a financial impact of the menopause? And I'm going to talk about, or I'm going to ask you, sorry, more around the individual, but also the company. What, whoever they're working for, because if people are sitting in businesses and this is impacting the employees, what is the bigger picture here on a financial basis? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you. Yeah, the, the financial impact could be huge. And actually, I'll just sort of retract a slightly and just sort of do a little bit of a description to reflect on what Vanessa's just said there, is if we look in the UK of the average age of a menopausal individual showing as about 51, okay, we can have an individual who maybe still has some of that childcare responsibility at home, maybe teenagers and so on. We might also have someone who's starting to have that responsibility for those elderly parents. On top of that, we're holding down that career, which we may have worked for years and years and years to get to the top of our game at this age. There are very sometimes strained relationships at home, and then we add menopause on the top. And that's where we see this piece that we spoke about earlier as well, of it all becoming too much. 
when I talk about this in the workplace, I say it's all becoming too much and it's often not the family that we always give up on first, okay? We continue with the family, but we, we look at the career. And that's obviously where some self-doubt might have kicked in as well. So the financial impact can come exactly from there. And there's actually one lady I'll just mention right now, a lady I met in person who said that she'd quit her job from getting to the top of her absolute game in her career. And she quit through fear of judgment. And I'll give you her example. She said that one day I was going to break down in that board meeting and I was going to cry. And I knew if I did that, I'd never have the confidence to walk back in there again. So again, that's just one individual's financial impact, leaving that job, never explaining why, and then starting a new career, which was definitely not at the sort of same pay grade as she had before. So that's sort of just a scenario around that age group, if we, if we look at that kind of average age, but there is that huge financial impact. So whether it's the decision to go part-time, and don't get me wrong, I'll also sort of stress here, um, I've recently worked with someone who was going to go for directorship and decided that this was not the time for her, okay? That was the path that she thought she needed to follow, but menopause was playing its part on her life and she decided not to go for directorship. Her decision, I would actually say, was you know a point positive for her as well. She said, I knew that this just wasn't the right time for me. But we could have individuals who are going part-time. We can have individuals who are leaving those jobs and ultimately maybe demoting themselves. So their pay grade can change, the, you know, the hours they're working can change, let alone what they're putting into their savings account or their pension pot and so on and so forth. So there's, there can be a huge financial difference to individuals if, you know, we can't support this and manage it and understand it and so on. With regard to the business costs, now, if I had actual figures for each business, um, I, I would be absolutely so, so happy if I could do that. And I don't have those figures. Um, and that's because... This is still often unknown, okay? So there aren't that many businesses who have a record of staff turnover menopause-related or have a sickness record um, for menopause-related symptoms. So there's often sort of an unknown business cost. However, there is absolutely a business cost. So whether that is exactly that, the attrition, the sick leave, and so on and so forth, productivity, loyalty, engagement, all of those things, there's a business cost absolutely you know there is my i've mentioned um you know the one in six who are considering leaving their place of work we know how much it costs to recruit individuals um as as well so there's a huge business cost um i'd love to know what that was for each individual business but i don't and that is ultimately because we still don't talk about this enough and if we did we would realize the financial impact um for many firms Thank you, Nicola. And I suppose it's also the intellectual capital that we're losing as well. So, Vanessa, can I come over to you now? As an investment manager, obviously, Nicola just mentioned that there is a huge financial cost to businesses, but I'm going to focus on the personal side of it. Um, as an investment manager, do you think there are things that we could do to financially plan for the impact of menopause? Because making these decisions about your career not just affects you but can affect your whole family your future so what should we be doing i think so um i mean nicola's just given some brilliant examples of the the significant impact it can have financially in terms of women saying i can't manage to do this and i think this is this is the the issue because no one knows exactly how the menopause will in, impact you as an individual. 
um, and you and your wider family. Um, but I think it's being able to talk about the potential scenarios of what might happen. And by understanding other people's experiences, so again, going back to that idea of talking more openly about what others have experienced and the impact that that's had, we can take into account things like um, periods may women, where women might want to take some leave, for example. Um, so that could have an impact on the contributions that they're able to make into their pensions or the savings that they're able to accumulate. Late. Or even if some of the symptoms are that severe that actually women have said, I want to give up work altogether, having those conversations with investment managers, with financial planners means that we can give these women and their families options, you know, help them to understand the financial impact of any decisions that they actually make um, can make things less stressful because you can actually see it quite visually in terms of statistics and, and actual cash flow models, for example. And it can make that choice for women easier because in a sense, you're showing the potential financial downside to any of the decisions that you do make, um, but also it can give you that flexibility in terms of what you may be able to do um, in the future. I think as well, it's really important to emphasize the fact that um, menopause is not something which women can avoid void. Um, Nicola has obviously said, you know, for some women, they won't really feel any symptoms, so it won't be an impact, but for some, it can be incredibly severe. And so I think this is where, from, from our perspective, in terms of the help that we're doing for women, we're giving them choices that they can make in relation to how they adapt their financial plans and, and integrating the menopause into this. And I think it's that flexibility which can empower women to make them feel more confident about their choices um, in the future. And this is why we need to integrate the menopause into a woman's financial journey, because it is an obstacle for some women that they will face in the future um, that needs to be incorporated into any plans that they have so that they can make the most of their finances moving forward. Thanks, Vanessa. So, so in real, reality, uh, see, I can't speak now. This is my brain kicking in. Um, so there are three words that come to mind there, choice, control and comfort. And as you say, we, we can control certain things, but we can't control nature. So absolutely. I think those three things are absolutely key. So a lot of the time we start thinking about menopause and symptoms when we're starting to experience things. So from that planning, is it ever too late to start having those conversations with regards to what are my options financially? Yeah, I, I think um, it's it's like anything. It's always better to start early, um, but it's never too late to start planning. And I think like many of the topics that we cover, the first step is often the hardest, but actually talking about these topics openly is the best first step that we can take. So. While I can speak about planning from an investment management perspective, obviously the menopause goes far beyond just the financial side of things, as Nicola has already alluded to. But I think it is very much about planning, talking openly to your family, to your employer, to your friends, so that the menopause in of itself stops being a topic which people are uncomfortable talking about. And if you talk about the menopause openly with various different people, then we can give you options about how it can be navigated. And that goes from a health perspective right the way through to the financial perspective, which we would um, help individuals with. So I think this is where it's always best to start early. 
but just actually having that conversation about what is happening with you personally means that you you are giving yourself options and this is why we want to make sure that this conversation comes out into the open so that women can gain back that control when many feel that they've actually lost it and they can start making empowered choices both from a, a financial uh, and investment perspective in a way that really suits them and their wider family. Thanks Vanessa and I think that word empowerment is, is something that both you and Nicola have used today. So it's a great word to be hearing when we're talking about menopause. So Nicola, I want to come back to you if that's okay. We touched on the cost to businesses earlier of um, uh, having menopause or women in the workplace, making those decisions to not go for those promotions or leaving their jobs. But we've also touched on the fact that menopause is complex. It, there are so many different things that can impact a female. That complexity, how are companies able to help people in the workplace knowing that this area is such a complex area to understand yourself in the first place let alone as a business trying to help their workforce mm. well i'd start by saying education is key and education on this topic is something that most of us are lacking if i'm honest it was something that i was definitely lacking and i'd always say that when i was at school i was taught about puberty and reproduction when i was pregnant i had a midwife and a health visitor to guide me through when menopause came along there was very very little support and very very little education so one of the biggest points that i'm trying to get into that workplace is let's educate your staff if we educate them then they, I hope, will be empowered to go and seek the support that maybe they also need in order to be able to manage this time in life. And, and if, we, if we understand it, if we're educated on it, and if we choose to manage it, then that can be such a more positive experience than, you know, an experience I had, I guess, where it wasn't managed and it wasn't understood. So education is absolutely key. Now, how do we get that into a workplace? Uh, you won't be surprised with the amount of people I have contacted me who will say, we know we need to do something. We're just not sure what that is. Can you help? And of course, we can help. We can start by, and as I try to say, that, that kind of door opener. Let's open up the conversation in a really comfortable way. And that's often where we start. But for different firms, it's different things. So for some firms, it might be, okay, we're going to write a menopause policy. Okay, that might be where they start. And that's absolutely fine. What I'm always going to emphasize on is let's do a little bit more with the policy. Okay, so we've got a policy, what awareness sessions or training have we given? Because ultimately, another cost to a business, and what I didn't mention earlier, is misdiagnosis through the lack of education. So, so, so many individuals are misdiagnosed because, number one, they don't understand what this is. And ultimately, they're maybe not having a bigger conversation with a GP. So there's a huge financial cost to a business as well of misdiagnosis and people are on, on sick leave. There absolutely is. And again, I hear story after story after story. So can we get into that workplace? Can we educate? And then can we provide some support? Because if we can make this a conversation that is much more comfortable than it is now, that is beneficial to everybody. And I don't just mean individuals who may be experiencing menopause or may in life experience menopause. This is a huge, huge supportive measure for what I call the supporters of individuals going through menopause, whether that be them in the workplace or whether they're supporting somebody at home. Because this can also have a huge impact on the supporters who are there helping someone who is going through menopause as well. 
And there's a point that, that you said about education in the, the actual workplace. Um, and I was going to ask you a different question. We're going to come back to that question in a minute. Are those conversations starting to happen in the workplace? Are you seeing it happening or are we really just at the infancy of, of trying to get this education within businesses? I'm delighted to say in 2023, we're having lots more conversations than we were in 2019 when I launched the business. I didn't I didn't pick an easy business to launch in 2019 and I seriously had to bang the drum um, around it. And you can imagine probably some of the um, responses I got back then. 2023, you know, there's been a huge amount of social media presence, lots more education coming out on this topic and a realisation that actually, okay, Maybe, you know, we've got we've got lots of these individuals in our workplaces now. Maybe we, yeah, we do want to retain them. Of course we do. There are some of them are our most experienced members of staff. So, you know, let's retain, let's support. Um, and absolutely, um, let's see what we can do. And it can often be very, very small things that need to be done um, in order to support. But more and more businesses are, are absolutely supporting now. What I would say two things is I work with people first organizations. Okay. I work with organizations who absolutely want to create that, that amazing culture in that, that workplace. They do. They want to retain the stuff, they want to support them in whichever way uh, they can. What I'd also stress is I see more and more at the moment is workplaces coming to me when maybe it's reached the hierarchy of the business. So when menopause has hit the hierarchy of the business, there's then a realization that actually, okay, yes, this is impacting us now and, and we need to do something about this. Obviously, I'm trying to get there way before it hits that hierarchy because what I want people to do is I want them to be educated, I want them to have a wealth of knowledge, and I want them to be able to go feeling empowered and seek the support they need. I don't want people to reach rock bottom, whatever that might be for them. I also don't want more and more people, which I have all the time saying to me, why didn't I know about this two years ago? Why didn't I know about this five years ago? I feel like I've wasted that many years of my life. So I want to get there. I want to educate. I want to support that workplace. But I would also say that workplace one workplace particularly said to me, how come this is on us? How come this is on us to bring this educational piece into our workplace? And I say, well, it's not necessarily just on you, okay? If you open it up, if you if you open up this conversation, you ask me to support, what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, educate and empower your employees. What we're also then going to do is we're going to reflect on personal responsibility. Because as much as, yes, this is a workplace topic, we are also as individuals, um, there's a need for us to also take that res personal responsibility as well to help manage ourselves to then show up as sort of the best version of ourselves at work as well. That's brilliant. And that, that point about education, you know, we've said that actually as, as women, we need to be more educated on menopause and the workplace. But also there's that impact that it also has on relationships, whether you're a married couple, civil partnership, living together. There is an impact there. Um, what's been your experience on the, the impact that menopause also has on your relationships as well? So different relationships to work, but on those home relationships where you know, your partners are also experiencing menopause along with you. Yeah, there's a huge impact. Um, I can talk firstly from that personal point of view. I mentioned, you know, my relationship with my husband earlier. It had a huge impact on our personal relationship. It, it absolutely did. And actually, when I started the business, and I, I do a talk on sort of personal responsibility, I asked him to describe me through that sort of those darkest times. And I hope today I'll come across as quite a confident, determined individual, which is what I always was. 
his description of me through that difficult time was vulnerable. Now, vulnerable isn't a word that people have probably used to describe me before, but that was ultimately, you know, where I came to. So that was extremely difficult for him as well. So it can have a huge impact on those personal relationships. I I have a little smirk now when I say my supportive husband, we're still married, um, because I will also say for a lot of that time, I believed a lot of the way I was feeling was him. It was him making me feel that way, which, you know, is an awful thing for me to say now. Um, But but that's how it felt, because I didn't understand what was happening. But in 2021, I did some research because I absolutely believe there's a whole piece around the impact on personal relationships. And I wanted to do my own research into it, which was interviewing some individuals and the impact on their personal relationships as well. But also interviewing a relationship counsellor, a family mediator and a family lawyer to ask, had this been cited? Did this come up in their work? Um, Because that was another understanding that I wanted to have. And I'll be honest and say the family mediator who had worked in law for 17 years said it had never been cited on a case that she dealt with. Now, I wasn't surprised by this. And I wasn't surprised because we don't know about it. Okay, so if if we as individuals who are going to go through this aren't educated, how can we expect to understand this in a relationship as well? So there is a huge impact. I'll just sort of explain as well some stats from last year that I'm so pleased were revealed, which was done by um, Newsome Health Education. Um, and I've just checked Family Law Menopause Project as well. I just want to make sure I say the right thing there. They said that seven out of 10 women blamed menopause for their divorce. That was the headline. Now, I'm not here to say within all those people I spoke to in the research I did, that was this fact. What I would say is it's in there. It's absolutely in there as part of a reason for relationship breakdown. It absolutely is. I'll have a lot of people contact me and say, she's not the woman I married. She's no longer the person I've known for so many years. She's changed. You know, so there's a huge impact. But again, if we can educate, if we can manage it, then I believe we can also help support that impact on those personal relationships as well. Brilliant. Thank you, Nicola. So, Vanessa, I'm going to come back to you, please, um, with regards to the financial implications of menopause. But I'm going to go a little bit wider, and I'd like to ask if evidence suggests that women are actively engaging in their financial position, which obviously, from a menopausal perspective, is really an important consideration. No, definitely. And I think Nicola's point about taking personal responsibility is something that actually women are considering a lot more when it comes to their own finances. So overall, I would say that women's engagement is increasing. But I think um, for, for many women, their engagement with investments and financial planning is not something which starts from an early age. And so that needs to be encouraged. So, again, it goes back to Nicola's point about education and actually capturing those younger women um, that may think, oh, my gosh, retirement is a long way off. I don't need to worry about it. That's a financial conversation for another day. Um, our own um, Quilt Achievia female financial survey found that of the 46% of the women we, we surveyed, they said they only started engaging with investing following an inheritance, which generally only comes much later on in their lives. And also another sort of point that was raised around this was that they felt that investing wasn't for them. Um, and they felt they didn't have enough money, for example, to speak with a financial advisor or an investment manager. 
So I think, again, it comes down to the, the problem around the perception, which we're trying very hard to change, is that, um, you know, financial planning and investment management is not for me um, at this stage in my life. But actually, the earlier we can start talking to these women, the better we can educate them around being more financially resilient later on in life. Um, I think something that we really do have to acknowledge is that on average, the Office of National Statistics data has showed that women earn around 9% less than men due to the different sectors that they work in. So if we take that first statistic and then factor in things like career breaks for children, then the potential impact uh, of the menopause, as Nicola has already outlined, there's a lot of different hurdles that women will encounter that could potentially add up to financial problems for these women later on in their lives. Um, Another statistic which we're all probably quite familiar with is that women on average will live longer than men. So if they're already starting with smaller amounts that they have available to invest or make financial plans around, they will often take a more cautious approach to investing. So they have to make that money work that much harder to try and effectively cover their retirement um, periods. So again, all of these elements can really compound to leave women in a more vulnerable position later on in their lives and menopause can only add to this so again it's going back to that piece around yes women are taking more personal responsibility for their finances but we really want to emphasize the point that this education piece needs to start much much earlier and start to have these conversations you know when when girls and women are, are in their early teens um we don't talk enough about financial education in school. So it goes back to Nicola's point about we're talking about reproduction, but we're not talking about the menopause. It's the same with finances. You know, we, we tell uh, children how all about maths and, and how to do things like that. We don't talk to them about mortgage or compound interest. Um, these are things that we need to have education in schools around these topics. So those are some really good points that you've mentioned about education, but as individuals, how do we take those steps to widening our understanding of our personal financial position? So I think it's in a sense, just like the discussion that we're having today. So it's having conversations about finances with people we trust, whether that be sort of family members um, or, or indeed finance professionals. Um, for example, Quilt Achievement's Women and in Investing Hub, which was launched this year, has lots of information specifically designed to tackle the financial hurdles that women face and give information to women to consider in terms of their own personal circumstances. But I think everyone, almost irrespective of gender, needs to acknowledge that we can't be all specialists in all areas. Um, sometimes we do need help and guidance by those that are more familiar with these complex issues. So whether that be Nicola in terms of going in as an expert and consulting with firms around how to generate a menopause policy um, and a raise awareness about its issues and impacts or myself, for example, as an investment manager where I've done a huge amount of research around the female financial journey and how we can help women and their families navigate the hurdles that they may encounter. I think it, it just goes back to that point. If we can normalize these topics and make sure that women feel comfortable talking about them, then we can take those first steps in terms of changing financial behaviors with the ultimate aim that the topic of money and indeed the menopause is no longer seen as something that we cannot talk openly about. 
Thank you, Vanessa. So I'm going to come now to some questions from our audience, if that's okay with you both. So, Nicola, I think this one is more for yourself. Um, do you think knowing your mother's menopausal age is crucial in diagnosis or being taken seriously for early menopause? I absolutely think it's so positive if you can have a conversation with your mum around her experience. Um, some mums are, are willing to have that conversation again. This is a slightly sort of generational thing, as you'll understand. But if you can, can you ask your mum? Can you ask her maybe what, what it was like for her and maybe what age? Um, for me, as you know, I had that one conversation with my mum. There was no other conversation, uh, you know, until I was diagnosed. Um, but I knew and, and I guess that sat with me and that absolutely helped me sort of fight my own corner, I would say. I've ultimately had further conversations with my sister. My sister's two years younger than me. She's also gone through a premature menopause. You know, I was able to see it in her before she was able to see it in her. So yes, do ask those questions. You know, you might not follow in the same pattern, but I think it's always great to be able to have that kind of dialogue of asking a question and then hopefully some support around it as well. Brilliant, thank you. And we've got another question here, which is, I'm gonna aim it at both of you if that's okay. So have you ever been asked about menopause in your day-to-day -day job role? So, Vanessa, can I come to you first on this one? Um, I'll be totally honest, I haven't. Um, and uh, I, I think it goes back to that point that Nicola raised, that for some people, they don't even realise that menopause is a factor um, in terms of something that does need to be considered. But I, I think given the data that we are seeing coming through, given the fact that it is a conversation that now is being had more widely, I think it is something that we need to integrate into the conversations that we do have with women where appropriate. Um, again, we don't want to ever make women feel uncomfortable or indeed their wider families feel uncomfortable about broaching the subject. But I think it is something that we always, as finance professionals, need to have in the back of our minds when talking to clients, prospective clients, to make sure that if there are signs where this could be an issue, that we raise it to effectively protect our clients from financial vulnerability. Thanks. And Nicola, the same question to yourself. Yes, well, I'll kind of reflect and say I hear about this within the work, you know, place most days of the week, but I'll reflect also on myself, okay? A lot of people say to me, so did you raise this at work when it was happening to you? Did you raise it? And the answer is no, which is ironic, seeing as what my career now is. And I'll explain why I didn't. Number one, I don't actually think that I thought anyone would believe me. I wasn't at an age where I could hardly get a GP believe me, let alone um, a manager and so on. And secondly, I was um, I was scared of judgment, if I'm honest. I was scared and I'm probably, you know, incorrectly scared of judgment, but I was. I was scared that they maybe couldn't, would think that I couldn't do my job as well as I used to. So, so I didn't. My immediate colleague would have known what was happening to me at the time. She would have seen that every time, you know, I had a cup of tea, this mop of hair was clipped up or the fan was on or the window was open, you know, those sorts of things she would have seen. But I didn't raise it for support because I was someone who, as many are, put a different mask on for work. So a different Nicola Green went to work and she performed to the absolute best of her ability. But that ultimately led to a bit of a burnout because for me, it was much more sort of that home life that suffered as well. So um, yes, 
Um, you know, I'm asked about it every single day. Um, but you know, I, I but for my self-reflection, I didn't raise it. And I understand for so many people why they still won't. This is still an extremely personal topic for individuals. And that is always 100% fully respected in all the work I do. Some people may never raise this at work or never want to have a conversation about it. But what I talk about within the workplace is, okay, well, how can we reach those people in other ways? They might not come to one of sort of the wide workplace talks. But I'm sure there's some literature that could go on our internet. Maybe there's some literature that we can put around the building. You know, what can we do to reach individuals also that maybe won't speak about this in the workplace? And I think that's that's really important as well. Thank you. And a final question from the audience. And again, Nicola, this is going to come to you, if that's OK. You mentioned about HR policy. Um, is it a requirement to have a menopause HR uh, policy for HR? And if not, do you think that will become a requirement in the future? Yeah, I, I don't believe it's a, a set in stone requirement as yet, but I, I see this coming as a standard requirement going forward. Um, I absolutely do. There's a big momentum around this, around protecting this as well. And therefore, I think anything that firms can do now to get great measures put in place will ultimately you know, lead them into a great place for the future. Thank you. And thank you both. Now, before we finish today, I always ask on um, sessions that we do for a call for action for our audience, please. So, um, Nicola, I'm going to come to yourself first, if that's OK. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'd love to give uh, one for an individual, actually one for an individual, one for a supporter and one for a business. Am I allowed to do three? Am I allowed oh, to give that many? Go for it. Okay. Okay. So for the, <laughs> for the individual, please fight your own corner. Okay, I meet so, so many individuals who are really, really struggling to fight that own corner, whether that's going to seek some help from a GP or whatever it might be for you. Please do not give up on yourself. So many feel that maybe they're not bad enough yet. I don't want anyone to get bad enough. So please go and seek the support that you need. For the supporters of, and I've, this is a really, really big piece for me, the supporters out there who are there supporting, um, whether somebody at home or somebody at work, uh, first of all, thank you for, for doing that. It's um, so, so important. But listening, the skill to actually listen, to allow someone to be heard without in, any interruption or judgment can be one of the biggest pieces of support you can provide to that person. So please, please do take that one on board. And then businesses. So a little sort of shout out to businesses. We can make this really comfortable. It doesn't need to be that kind of shudder around this topic. We absolutely can. We do it in a very respectful way. And there are just so many positive benefits from opening up this conversation. I was at a talk the other week. There was 40 in the audience and three came up to me at the end and said, you've just empowered me. I'm going back to the GP. Okay, they were going to make positive steps for themselves going forward. And them doing that ultimately can then be positive for that workplace. The audience buzz, the audience near excitement following a talk. We're talking about something like this in our workplace that's never been mentioned before. It's empowering. There's a huge shift. And you as a business can absolutely reap the benefits of doing so. Thank you very much. So, Vanessa, I'm going to come to you for exactly the same question. What is your key takeaway, key action point today? 
I think I'm going to mirror Nicola, actually, because I, I think there are a couple um, that, that I'd like to point out. I, I would say, firstly, for the, the ladies that are listening on the call today, um, it, it again goes back to that. If you are worried about your finances or investments, there are people out there that you can talk to about this, you know, our, ourselves included. And if you take that first step in overcoming the hurdles that we've talked about, um, you know, menopause being one of them you can make a far better informed choice rather than a forced one and I think that's the danger of not having those discussions in the first place um and then uh, to to sort of counter that I think for for those professional individuals that are, are listening in today I think we really do need to acknowledge that a woman's financial journey is very different to that of a man's and so we need to make sure that we're looking after our female clients. And so the call to action for them would be that we need to consider topics like the menopause. We need to approach women about the potential impacts that the, the hurdles, uh, gender hurdles that they may encounter and how they may impact their finances. And it's through approaching these topics that we'll be able to broaden our conversation with our female clients and their families and actually give them better financial and investment management advice moving forward. Brilliant. Well, I cannot believe that we are nearly up on the hour. I could just sit in and ask more and more questions as we go. But there are several words that have come out today, which I think are really key to highlight. So education being the first one, empowerment, having choice, having control and having comfort. So thank you very much. Thank you to Nicola and thank you to Vanessa for giving your insights today. And if we provided you today with more of that look into how menopause affects us in the workplace and the financial impact, then we've done our job today of giving more awareness during World Menopause Awareness Month. We will be running a second session with our guest speaker, menopause expert, Dr. Dawn Harper from Embarrassing Bodies. So please do sign up for our second session. Now, many thanks to you all for also joining us today. If you found today's webinar to be valuable, why not share it on your social media? Again, getting that education out there would be really, really key. So you can do your part also in World Menopause Awareness Month. But please do feel free to share on social media. All the links are on the right hand side of the screen for you to be able to do that. And if you have any further questions or would like any more information, please visit our website or contact your investment manager or speak to your local business development manager. But for now, it leaves me to say thank you for listening. Thank you again to Nicola and Vanessa for your insights today and goodbye.